Our Bible reading is taken from Luke chapter 8, beginning on verse 22. One day, Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. They got into a boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. They sailed to the region of Gerasenes, which was across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the evil spirit to come out of him. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him, and they begged him repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs were feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into them, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down into the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over the town how much Jesus had done for him. This is the word of the Lord. Well, please do keep that passage open. Um, and I'm just going to pray as we take a look at it. Heavenly Father, please help us to see this evening who Jesus really is. Help us to understand more of who he is. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to start off by telling you about my first car. Uh, so this was the very first car that I bought uh, after learning to drive. It was a little Renault Clio. And I drove it a whole eight times before it was written off. So here's what happened. It was a Friday night, and I had arranged to meet some friends in town. And as I set uh, off to walk down to the car, I realized it's a bit cold, a bit slippery. And I thought, never mind, it'll be fine. I'll just drive slow. And so everything uh, was going fine. I was driving slowly. And so I started to speed up. And as I did, the car started sliding across the road. 
Now, whenever you're taught to drive, there's one thing that they tell you is very, very important uh, whenever you hit ice on a road, and it's this. Don't brake. That's what you're told. But I slammed on the brakes, and the Clio instantly swung to the left, and then to the right, and then it flipped upside down, smashed into some trees on the side of the road, and smashed all the windows. And so there I was, hanging upside down by the seatbelt in my new Reynold Clio. By this stage, the wheels were spinning uh, very fast. And at that moment, I had a realization that this car could go on fire. I thought I could die here. And so I was overcome with terror. In the passage we just read, we see people who are overcome with this kind of fear. These are people who are in terrible, terrible danger. They're people who uh, face the disordered weather and death and disease and the devil. And this passage shows us some incredible things about these dangers. So we're going to start off by looking at the first one, uh, the first incidents where the disciples of Jesus encountered the disorder of the storm. We read, a squall or a windstorm came down on the lake, so the boat it was being swamped, and they were in great danger. So they're out on the boat, uh, Jesus falls asleep, and after he does this, huge storm starts to build up. The wind is going at gale force, uh, and the boat is being thrown in every direction. It's dark, it's cold, uh, the waves are building up and up, and it's becoming clearer and clear to everyone that this boat is going down. It's filling up with water. And so here are these seasoned fishermen, men who've probably been through hundreds of storms, and they are terrified. They are in great danger, and they know that they are going to perish and die if something isn't done. Verse 24, the disciples went and woke Jesus, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. They plead with Jesus, Jesus, we need you to help scoop water out of the boat, all hands on deck. We need you to help steady the boat here. If there's anything you can do for us, Jesus, now would be a great time to do it. Just buy us some time. We'll try and get this thing sorted. And Jesus wakes up. He gets up to his feet and rebukes the storm. And just like that, everything is calm. The disciples look around at themselves and they look at Jesus and what is their reaction? What do you think their reaction would be? Well, you'd think they'd be filled with joy and gladness and think, my goodness, Jesus, you really pulled that one out of the bag. I mean, we've seen you do some miracles, what with the loaves and the fishes and all that. But I mean, this, this is really something. I can't wait to get home and tell the family about this one. Is that the reaction? One of joy and gladness and happiness that they are now safe and sound? Verse 25, in fear and amazement, they ask one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Mark tells us that they were terrified. No matter how terrified they were of the storm and of dying, they have now seen this incredible power unleashed from Jesus. And as a result, they are far, far more afraid of Jesus than any storm. Previously, they thought they were going to die and were afraid. Now they are terrified in the presence of Jesus when they see his power and authority. 
the realization that there's something here to be much, much more afraid of than any deadly storm. That same day, they sailed the boat onto the region of the Gerasenes, and uh, I imagine they're scooping the water out of the boat and thinking to themselves, what on earth just happened? And they attempt to recover their composure after going through one of the most traumatic events of their lives. And as they do so, the boat pulls up to the region of the Gerasenes, and little do they know that they're soon to be confronted with yet another terrifying and deeply traumatic experience. We read there was this man, this creature, who lived up in the hills, uh, which was most likely uh, a kind of cemetery in the hills. And in other accounts, we read that day and night, he would cut himself uh, with stones and cry out in the tombs in the hills. Can you imagine growing up here in this little town? You're going to sleep maybe as a little boy or a little girl. Your parents kiss you in the forehead before sending you to bed, and you're alone trying to get to sleep in your room. And you hear the howling of this man crying out in the tombs. You know that up there somewhere there is this man possessed by a multitude of demons. He's naked. No matter what the townspeople do to try and chain him down, he breaks those chains and runs off. I mean, this is a real-life horror. Can you imagine growing up with that kind of a childhood? Some people wonder, um, if all this is true, then why don't we see this sort of thing happen today? Uh, if there really are demons and demon-possessed people, uh, then why don't we come across uh, so much of it now? Why, when we read the Gospels, do we see so many evil powers and demon possessions? Well, the basic answer is that whenever Jesus came, he came to defeat uh, the powers of evil. And the devil, knowing that his time was up, uh, spent the last of his energy trying to destroy the plans of Jesus and bring him down, because he knew that otherwise that was it for him. And so during those three years of Jesus' ministry, in a sense, all hell broke loose as Satan marched his minions up to attack Jesus and those around him. And so as a result, here we have this town, terrorized by this creature, and along comes Jesus in the boat as he pulls up to the region. What's going to happen? When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. There is uh, so much amazing truth packed into these short verses that we could be here all night thinking about it. But the basic message is this, that Jesus has come to destroy the works of the devil, and they know that he has full power and authority over them. And so he sends them off into this herd of pigs to drown. Verse 33, when the demons came out of the man, they went up into the pigs and herd and uh, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. And so there's this town, they've been terrified, they've been terrorized by this man possessed by a multitude of demons, and he has now been cured. The man himself is okay again, and all those people in the town who've been subject to this demonic assault for all those years, they are finally free of it. Those kids who grew up listening uh, to him crying out day and night, well, they are no longer subject to him. And so they're going to be like the disciples, aren't they? 
looking around at themselves. They're going to be overjoyed. They can't believe their luck. Finally, this fear has gone. Finally, this town of theirs is free of this evil. Verse 35, the people went out uh, to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were now overcome with fear. They are just like the disciples. No matter how afraid they were of this demon-possessed man, they are many more times afraid of Jesus. And so they want him gone from their town. In both instances, Jesus overcomes what must have been the greatest fears of these people at this time. Jesus gets rid of the very thing that they were most afraid of. And as a result, they are far more afraid, far more in terror, far more scared. I wonder, what about you? Do you fear Jesus? Do you think of Jesus as weak and mild and powerless? Some portrayals of Jesus make him look a little bit like Snow White. Birds coming around him, holding a lamb. Looking weak and soft, effeminate. Well, what we see here absolutely crushes that notion. The disciples ask, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. No matter what you say your greatest fear is, you should be a thousand times more afraid of Jesus than anything else. And I believe that one of the greatest needs in the church today is to recover our right fear of Jesus and of God. When we talk about fear, uh, we're talking about fear at the awesome power of Jesus and what that power can do to you. Jesus himself tells us later in Luke, he says, I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after the body has been killed has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. And the Bible teaches that there's coming a, a day in the future when everyone will, be, uh, will see this and be afraid. There's coming a time when Jesus will be revealed to everyone in this world. And Jesus tells us this later in Luke. He says, for the Son of Man in his day will be like the lightning, which flashes up and lights up the sky from one end to the other. Just like it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. The flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. The day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this, Jesus says, when he is revealed. In these accounts, we get a glimpse into some of the power and authority of Jesus. But on that day when Jesus returns, all of his power and authority will be revealed, and it will be a day of terror. All of his authority and power and glory will be made known. And on that day, he will end forever the disorder of the creation, and as well as death and disease and the devil. Could be that you're here this evening, you might be a Christian or a non-Christian, and you might have a completely casual attitude to Jesus. Maybe you're over-familiar uh, with Jesus or just don't think he's worth thinking about. Uh, at the same time, I wonder, are you generally afraid of other things? 
uh, afraid of circumstances or the future or exam results or whatever it is. Well, if that is you, then I want to say to you, wake up. If what we read here is true of Jesus, then why would you be afraid or worried of anything else? And if you're apathetic, then wake up to who Jesus is. Or it might be that you're a non-Christian here tonight and you think this is all just a load of baloney. And if, that's you, if that is you, then you need to explain uh, this incredible breathtaking effect that Jesus had on so many people. When you're confronted with this kind of uh, awesome, scary experience, like seeing Jesus calm the storm or uh, drive out the legion of demons, the normal response is to try and get away from it, isn't it? Uh, to be like the townspeople, either trying to get Jesus away from you or to run away from him. So I can tell you, whenever I was hanging upside down by the seatbelt in the car, thinking it was going to go on fire, I can tell you, once I realized what was going on, I was pretty quick to try and get out of that car. But with Jesus, that doesn't work. Because if we try and get away from him now, we will still meet him when he comes to judge. There simply isn't the option to run away. Rather, the only option is to come to Jesus to come to Jesus, not to let fear keep you from Him, but to realize you need to go to Him. Fear of Jesus isn't enough. It needs to lead to something else. It needs to lead to faith in Jesus, faith in Jesus. And this is something that Jesus actually says repeatedly in this chapter. Uh, verse 25, He says to the disciples, where is your faith? He asked. And again in verse 50, Jesus says, don't be afraid, just believe. Don't let your fear of me cast you away from me, but believe in me. For the townspeople, uh, their fear of Jesus had pushed them away from him when it should have brought them to him. And so the question for us is, well, what does it look like to come to Jesus in faith and not to be driven away in fear? What does it look like when you've seen this awesome, fearful power of Jesus not to be driven away in fear, but to actually come to him. Well, we see an amazing example of just that uh, later on in the chapter. This is uh, the last part that we're going to read, one last narrative that answers this question exactly. Let's pick it up in verse 42. Listen to this. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who'd been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus says, Someone touched me, and I knew that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her daughter, Your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Under the laws of the Old Testament, someone was regarded as being unclean uh, when they had any kind of bodily discharge. And anyone who was regarded as being unclean would have been kept separate and away from others. And so this was a woman who, because of her continual bleeding, would have been regarded as always unclean. So she was someone who wasn't allowed to eat with others, or speak with others, or touch others. 
Because of her condition, this woman would have been permanently, ceremonially unclean, permanently cut off and separated from others, permanently aware of her own condition. Now, all of this would have been awful, but what is even worse is that she would have felt not just permanently cut off from other people, but permanently cut off from God. You see, she wasn't allowed to go anywhere near a place of worship. She wasn't allowed to go anywhere near anywhere where God was thought to be. And so here she is, someone who is aware of her own condition and aware of the fact that she has been cut off from God. If anyone should have been afraid of approaching Jesus, it should have been her. And yet the text makes it very, very clear that she understood the power of Jesus. She understood it and was rightly afraid. And yet somehow for this poor, suffering woman, she was afraid, but she also knew that Jesus wanted to use his power for her good. She knew that he wanted to use his power to remove her uncleanness and her separation from God and her suffering. And so she comes to Jesus thinking, if I can just touch the edge of his cloak, then I will be well. And Jesus calls this faith. Faith, coming to Jesus independence, knowing that only Jesus can heal her. And that is because Jesus has come to bring people back to God. He's come to save people. He's come to restore our relationship with God. He's come for those who are cut off from God. And the Bible says that because of our rejection and our rebellion against God, everyone has been cut off from God, and yet Jesus came to save us. Jesus is unlike any other person who has ever lived. Everyone else uses their power to promote themselves. Yet the one who was all-powerful came, came to lay down his life in order to save others. So that he died to take the evil and the wrongdoing that we have done and to die for us and in our place at the cross. This is who Jesus is, the Savior. Jesus is the most powerful and terrifying person who has ever walked the face of this earth. Yet he is also the most loving person who has ever walked the face of this earth. And a Christian, a Christian is someone who has understood this. A Christian is someone who comes to Jesus just like this woman, falling at his feet, knowing that she has nothing to give him but only receive his healing power. I wonder, are you like this woman? knowing that you have nothing to give him but only the sin from which you need to be saved? Are you willing to come to Jesus knowing that he is ready and willing and able to save you from your sins? This evening, do you see Jesus for who he really is? If we do, it'll mean that Jesus is at the center of our lives. It means that we should think about him every day. And all the decisions we make should be made with reference to him how we spend our time, our friendships, our conversations, our desires, our hopes for the future should all be made with reference to him. If we see Jesus for who he is, then he will impact every area of our lives. In C.S. Lewis's book, The Chronicles of Narnia, he uses the great lion Aslan to show us what Jesus is like. And this is what he says. He says, people who have not been in Narnia sometimes think that a thing cannot be good and terrible at the same time. 
If the children had ever thought so, they were cured of it now. For when they tried to look at Aslan's face, they caught just a glimpse of the golden mane and the great, royal, solemn, overwhelming eyes. And then they found they couldn't look at him and went all trembling. His voice was deep and rich and somehow took the fidgets out of them. They now felt glad and quiet and it didn't seem awkward to, st- uh, to them to stand and say nothing. This is an amazing picture of Jesus. And this evening, this is what Luke paints for us. We read at the start of Luke that, uh, that Luke carefully investigated everything from the beginning, uh, interviewing eyewitnesses, writing everything down, and this is what he found. He found that the all-powerful creator God had come to earth, that this God had displayed his awesome, terrifying power through these events, but that this same God, this same Jesus came to be their savior, come to restore their relationship with God, no longer cut off from God, no longer afraid of things around us. But by looking to Jesus, we could be saved. I'm going to pray now. And uh, if you are someone who for the first time has come to realize who Jesus is, then please do pray with me. Or if you're a Christian and you want to grow in your understanding of how amazing this Jesus is, then please pray with me as well. Let's bow our heads as we pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he came with great power and authority. We pray that you'd help us to see his terrifying authority over us. We are sorry for the sins that have cut us off from you. And like this bleeding woman, we come to you asking that you would take them from us. We thank you for Jesus. And we thank you that by his death on the cross for our sins, we can be saved forever. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.